Welcome to the Field of Vision podcast with your host, Jordan Eisen. How's it going, everybody? And welcome into the Field of Vision podcast. Joining me today is Ariel Cohen. So he's a writer for Fangraphs and CBS, as well as he's the creator of the ATC projection system for baseball. In 2019, his projection system ranked number one, and so did his rankings according to Fantasy Pros. As if that weren't enough, he was also the 2019 Fantasy Sports Writer Association Baseball Writer of the Year. So I really think that I'll learn some things from you today. Thank you so much for for that uh, great introduction and, and happy to be here. Yeah, so would you like to just explain a little bit about ATC? Sure. Um, ATC is uh, my projection system. Uh, It's not a traditional projection system in that uh, I actually rely on other people's projections. Um, I have spent a lot of time researching and studying other projections, and I know which other systems are better for home runs and which some systems are better for stolen bases and some are better for pitcher strikeouts and pitcher walks. And I combined them with a very smart weighted average, taking the best components of each projection to make an even better projection system, which, uh, as, as you said, uh, ranked number one last year. Uh, and that is, in a nutshell, uh, what I do. So, uh, you know, trying to minimize bias and have a good long-term average and, uh, by golly, that actually works in projecting players. Yep. So it really seems to work. Last year, you did amazing. You were super accurate. But this year, what's your general philosophy and approach to drafts? Do you go hard after pitching? Do you focus on categories like steals and saves or just... Tell me a little bit about your general philosophy. All right. Well, I mean, uh, I think that this short season is no different than other seasons in terms of the general uh, what you, the general tenet of what you want to do is draft value, value, value. Um, I'm not a believer of got to grab steals, got to grab homers. It really all depends on your format, and it depends on what other people are doing. If people are grabbing homers too early, well, you don't want to do that. And you don't want to be shut out of the category. You want to make sure that you have enough players that, that hit homers late in the draft or in the middle of the draft, but you don't have to reach for anything. You never have to reach. Um, if you reach, you're giving away value. Um, what I do is I convert, if I'm doing the draft, I convert every single player into an auction value. I know that Mike Trout is worth $45 and Yelich is worth 44 and so on and so forth, all the way down. Um, and I'm drafting not just the best value at, at the spot of the draft, but I'm also looking at the different positions. If I see that there is a huge value drop, in shortstop, if I don't take this $30 shortstop, the next one is 20 that's well, a $10 drop. But if I don't take this outfielder, it's only a $1 drop. Well, I might want to take the shortstop and not take the outfielder because I can always get an outfielder for a dollar less uh, uh, in the next round. Um, that's called replacement level drafting. Uh, RLD, uh, that's something I talk about a lot. And uh, that's the general method of what you're doing. Um, you know, you want to be conscious of balancing categories, but never go way out of whack. If you can identify, let's say you think that steals are being overpriced, you can identify some undervalued players of steals, middle, late in drafts, and bulk up on the other stats first, 
but always making sure you draft for value. Exactly. So my audience, as well as myself, I prefer snake drafts. Um, auctions are awesome. I've never done an in-person one, but I've read about them. I've tried a couple mocks and they're pretty cool, but I definitely spend a lot more time on snake drafts. So how do, how really quickly, just how does a snake draft compare to an auction draft and what should fantasy players look for in a snake draft? I mean, if you haven't tried an auction, you really should. It's a lot more fun. Um, it, it's it's not that much longer than a draft. Uh, people say, oh, it's too long. It's really not. Um, but it lets you do whatever you like. Um, as far as snake drafts go, how, how it differs, um, you know, you in an auction, you don't have to pick the best player. You don't have to pick a first-round player. You don't have to pick a second-round player. You can pick anybody. In a, in a snake draft, you have to. So if you don't take a first-round player – in the first round, you're giving up a lot of value. Uh, it's a it's a it's a risk reward. It's a con- roster construct uh, game theory problem more so for for drafts. It's a can I wait on this guy or will he be taken? Um, for drafts, you have to be hyper conscious of ADP in terms of don't draft a player so early if the if the ADP is much later. But then, of course, you don't want to you don't want to uh, just completely buy into ADP and say, "Well, I think this guy is an eighth round value, and his ADP is ninth round value, so I can wait around." No, you want to take your guy. You just want to be very conscious that you don't go overboard and in the middle to late rounds. Uh, but you're you're going to draft the best value at, at the at the time. It's very different than auction, where auction you might be nominating a guy at the very end. You might be not, not first, right? You can nominate a one dollar player. You can nominate a ten dollar player. You can nominate steals, 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 pitching, pitching. You can do whatever you like and build your team anyway. So it's sort of handed to you in draft, and you have to know how to deal with what the deal you're with the fit, uh, hand that you're handed. Uh, whereas auction, you can make up your hand. I, I totally get why people love auctions. It's just a lot to process for me, honestly. In snake drafts, I'm just used to it. If I got more into auctions, I'm sure I'd love them, but I'm just not there yet. The only way to do it is to try it. You got to try it. You know, you try it once. The first time might not go so well. And and then, you know, and you see what you did wrong and you see what you can improve on and you do it again. Yep. Okay. So a couple of things I noticed when I was looking at your auction values is that you seem to be low on steals and high on power. So a few guys that I noticed is you're low on Mondesi, Merrifield, VR. Uh, you're high on Encarnacion, DeYoung, and CJ Crone. So is that more just a testament to those specific players? Or do you tend to not go after steals because you think you can find them on the waiver wire? Or do you th- go after power because you think that's hard to find midseason, so you go after it in the draft. So, so when you say I'm not high on speed, wh- wh- how do you assess that? Like, uh, wh- where did you come up with that? So, just comparing, like, Whit Merrifield. Uh, so you have him pretty low at uh, eighteen dollars. I just value him a lot higher, and I think the general consensus also does. So, some guys okay. you have in about what Merrifield's range is like guys like Mike Moustakis and Max Muncy who are big power bats but I have Whit Merrifield way higher I 
I don't even love Whit Merrifield, but mm-hmm. I just I'm still higher on him. Like I have him close to uh, Vlad and uh, guys that I'm higher on. So like I I just noticed, and it might just be because that's what you think of the players. So tell me a little bit about that. Okay, I, I asked the question what what you know what, what you're comparing it to, and and your answer is you're comparing it to basically ADP or your rankings or whatever. Um, if the general consensus is you need speed, 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 and you gotta push up now. My values are based on evaluation, right? I'm I'm looking at the five by five categories. Uh, in in order to get a full value for a player, I'm assigning a value per category. I'm saying that you know Turner is worth X on on the runs. He's worth so much on steals, so much on power, and so on and so forth. And I do that for every single player. And when you combine them, you get a certain amount. Now it's pro. What happens is my valuation of steals don't put that and much emphasis on speed and and i'll tell you though in this very short season the way i've constructed it um there is much more variability in stolen bases right uh i'm not really sure if if merrifield is going to steal five bases 15 bases 20 it's such a small quantity right The, the league leader in stolen bases this year might have 15 um because it's such a low number it's such a high variability if if um, Mondesi is is projected number one. Let's see, he's projected 17 stolen bases, best in baseball. The 20th best stolen base guy might be projected for 12, right? It's such a sh- small area, and, and and because of that, it's such a high variability. Um, if you want to, if you use the Z-score method evaluating players, and you want to see what is a, a category worth, the more highly va- variable a category is, the less uh, the category is worth. So because stone base is more vari- variable, it's going to be worth less this year. So that's why I'm a little bit lower. Now, you can't go zero on steals, right? You're not going to say, I don't want steals. But you can look for players later on in the draft who will give you the steals but are valued appropriately. Don't You don't have to jump in on those guys who are overvalued because the stone bases are really not as valuable as people think they are. Yeah. Uh, you totally are right. Uh, I have lowered all my steel guys in my rankings. S- steals are so hard to get, and there's so few people who get a lot of steals that you kind of have to play the odds to get guys who will get who have the best odds to get a lot of steals, but also have good average or get have a tiny bit of power. Like uh, Mondesi could totally break out go crazy on home runs and be one of the most valuable fantasy players. So steals have a lot of upside because every single one is a lot more important than one run or one RBI or one home run. So I think steals have upside and I typically go after upside in my drafts. So Um, I guess that's just where we differ. Okay, sure, but it has upside, but it has downside. I mean, Mondesi, exactly. Mondesi could could have the look at Jonathan VR. I don't know, is he going to steal on the Marlins this year? I don't know. He he's had a couple of good years, and he's had a year where he collapsed. Uh, was it 2017 or so? I'm you just don't know with these variable guys. Um, take a guy, what's his name? Not Digor, uh, Malik Smith. Right. Malik Smith, I don't even know if he's going to get full playing time. Right. If he plays all the time, he's going to 
probably lead the league, but he might not get the playing time. He's a variable. He's a wild card. If I knew that a player is guaranteed the playing time and he's not going to get hurt at the end of the year, you might be right. Because any one player, if Mondesi is leading the league, my God, he's going to have such a big advantage to everybody. But you don't know that right now, right? Yeah. You don't know that. Yeah. And as for the, as for um, your your thought about getting the homers and 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 stolen bases with the steals, well, I um, obviously uh, it's better to get both. But if you value things correctly, um, what's wrong with getting a, a a forty homer guy with no steals plus a forty stolen base guy with with no homers? It's the same as two twenty twenty guys, right? Theoretically, it's the same. It doesn't really matter where you're getting it from. It's just that it's there's there's less likelihood of a power speed combo guy to fully collapse. He's safer in general. But just in pure valuation. No, I mean, uh, it's not true. You can get it anywhere you like. And if we think that stone bases are being overvalued, you don't have to take a guy with stone bases. As for team building and roster construction, do you have any other comments on like position scarcity, like catcher or guys with injury? Do you have any remarks on that type of thing? I mean, um, yeah, so let's talk. Let's talk about catchers uh, since since you mentioned it, right? Okay. And um, position scarcity, the general concept, as you put it, means that you need to pay a premium for the position because you don't want to end up with the worst of the position. The worst of the position is actually a below replacement level player, like a, a catcher. If you're if you're in a two catcher league, and let's say you're in a fifteen team league, very deep, the thirtieth catcher stinks. I mean, if there wasn't a requirement, I, I don't want to be stuck with Jason Castro. Like, yeah, you, you don't want to be stuck with the thirtieth catcher um, in general because if you if you're stuck with the thirtieth catcher, he, if there was no catcher position that you have to take, you would never ever consider him what so far. So the value of a catcher is not just what his stats are worth; it's what his stats are plus the privilege of not picking the 30th ranked catcher, of not picking Jason Castro, right? You're paying for, if you're paying for, I don't know, let's say uh, Jake Mielmuto, you're paying what he's worth, but you're also paying the fact that I don't want to pick that last catcher. So because of that, it's called uh, um, uh, positional positional scarcity, right? Um, Now, the way that I phrased it, Positional scarcity means you're paying a premium on the position. And the way to pick a catcher is not to say, well, it's a really scarce position. I got to get the best catcher, right? But that's not true. If you pick Jake Riomuto in the fifth round and nobody picks a catcher until the 19th round, even though in your formulas you might say that Jake Realmuto was really awesome and and a good value then, you did a bad job because if nobody valued the catcher in your draft, then nobody was paying the premium, right? It's only it's only worth the premium you're going to pay, and vice versa. If you if if you uh, uh you don't you don't pick if Jake Realmuto goes and the next guy goes and then there's a huge gap until the fourth catcher, you wait 10 rounds and then you pick them. My God, you did fantastic because you had 10 rounds of, of the uh, price that you didn't have to pay before some of those other higher ranked catchers. So with positions like this, it's hard to assign a value. You have to see where it is in your draft and to know what, what the market, I call it the market premium. You want to 
pay a le- uh, less market premium than other people in your draft. If, if people are, pu- are pushing up catchers two rounds higher than their theoretical value, but you only push them up one round higher, you've done a great service. If you push up a guy three rounds, but everybody's pushing up two, then you're paying more of a market premium than everybody else. So my advice to everybody, and it's easier to see in catchers, although it theoretically applies to everybody else, to all the other positions, it's okay to pay the market premium, but pay less of a market premium than everybody else. I agree. Like getting JT Real Muto on your team, it's really, really helpful, but if everyone else pushes him up just as much or a little bit more, then all of a sudden he's not even close to worth it. So now I'd like to go on to discuss some players that according to your auction values, you're a little lower on compared to myself, as well as the general consensus. Uh, Fantasy Pros ECR is a useful tool for that. So, Let's start with Trevor Story. So you have him as a $34 value. That's lower than someone like Freddie Freeman. Uh, I know that may no longer be true now that Freeman's tested yeah. positive. Yeah, that's going to yeah. change. Even still, though, before the whole COVID testing for Freeman, I still had uh, Trevor Story a lot more than I liked Freeman. So, really? Okay. Yeah, I just think he's... He's going to get a lot of steals, at uh, at least a 20-steal pace. He's shown that he's going to get a ton of home runs, especially in Coors. All right, so 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 let's talk about that, and let's pretend Freeman is fully healthy, right? You know, yep. obviously with, with that, with the news is different. Um, st- uh, who gives you more runs? Freeman. Who gives you more RBIs? Freeman. Who gives you more homers? Freeman gives you a better batting average Freeman. So the only category that you can squabble in is, is stolen bases. Now, if story is going for a 20, let's call it a 21 stolen base pace. And we're playing roughly a third of the season. Let's say that's seven stolen bases projected for story. Freeman is projected for um, only, only let's say two stolen bases, three, three stolen bases for Freeman, right? He, he had six and 10, the two prior years. So you're basically your argument is that story is better than Freeman because of four stolen bases. Maybe. Um, that, but that's also, my, and that's my argument why it's not true. Uh, okay. there's, it, it, there's just not enough of a gain in stolen bases. It, it's a four quantity stolen bases where Freeman is a lot more reliable and better in all the other categories. Freeman is highly reliable. Yeah. he He's really reliable, but I think story, he, he could be on a 40 home run pace. So so could Freeman for sure. But I think Story could do that and then have steals. And that's just something that we differ on. I, I, it's also a combination I, of the of the runs and RBIs. I mean, it's, it's a five-category thing. And, and when, when I say that uh, I prefer Freeman to Story, I don't think it's very far away. Like I, 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 Maybe Freeman was a, first, uh, was a uh, late first-rounder, beginning second-rounder, and Story is a couple picks later. Um, the, the other thing with a Story, though, is that he's a shortstop. I think shortstop is pretty deep this yeah, year. I think true. there's a lot of good shortstops uh, later. And remember, you're paying for the privilege of not drafting the late. Later round people. The later round shortstops are pretty acceptable to me. The later round first basemans are not. So yeah. because of that, I'd rather go for the first baseman. Next, I found two pitchers that you seem exceptionally low on, and I just don't see why. So I'm curious why. 
you're so low on Corbin and Aaron Nola. Like, you have them both below you, Darvish. Corbin's shown two years that he's a legit ace. Like, he's going to produce, I think at least. Maybe you don't. Uh, and then Nola has shown that he can be a Cy Young contender if he's healthy, if everything's going okay for him. And you, Darvish, has shown he can walk seven players in a game. And I just don't understand why you have Corbin and Nola below Darvish. So can you try to explain that to me? Maybe maybe you'll even convince me. Let's see. All right. Hope I do. Um, well, first of all, what do you define define what an ace is for me? Uh, it's really just... So even though you have them ranked lower than Darvish, Darvish was still an ace last year. Just someone who can pretty consistently get you a good start that really helps your team. Okay. So um, let's let's start with uh, Nola, and then we'll go into Corbin, okay? Aaron Nola, in his awesome, awesome year of 2018, um, was, was pretty good, right? He, uh, he had mm-hmm. uh, about one whip, 237 ERA. And how about last year? That whip went to 127. Which, by the way, one two seven is roughly what his average is over his career. So the gains were, were really not fully uh, realized, right? It, it was it was a tad lucky the previous year, and his ERA ballooned to three eight seven. Right, that's three eight seven is not an ace material. One two seven is not a helpful whip. Right, if I, if I want an ace, I want a little bit more than that. And uh, Nola has his strikeouts. You're gonna get the strikeouts, but. Um, Let's say you're starting out your season and you're in a hole. Would you rather be in a hole in strikeouts or would you rather be a hole in both ERA and whip? I, I would argue that I think it's easier to come back from strikeouts because you can play two-star pitchers. You can pick up guys off the wire. You can opt maximize uh, innings pitched. You can't really fix your ERA and whip, and all the more so in a short season. So I I, I very, very wary guys who are, I'm unsure of their ERA. Um, when I do ATC projections, the nice thing about it is I get to see a lot of different projections underneath and I see what the variability is. Like some, sometimes with the players, every it's in agreement. This guy is a three, five ERA guy. One guy said one projection is a three, four, five, one projection is a three, five, five really tight. And some projections for players are all over the place for Nola. I've got some projections in the fours for ERA. I've got some projections, three, six, three, five, I, yeah. I, it's a very wide range, and it's all above like three six, anyways. Um, now you got now you got the DH. I mean, it, it's it, I don't really trust Nola's Nola's uh, um, ERA this year. Let's look at you, Darvish. Okay, uh, you mentioned that he's gonna walk six guys, but I, I don't really see that. I think he had one bad year in twenty eighteen. He had a piss poor ERA, a uh, WHIP of one point four three, but. His whip in other years, 1.1, 1.16, 1.12. I see Darvish as a whip stabilizer. He does give up too many home runs, which is why, to me, he's not an ace. He's not a first-round pick. He's, he's not a, 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 a number one starter. He's somebody that I want back at number two starter, number three starter. But he's very helpful in whip. Uh, and, and he's a monster in strikeouts. He's much better than the other guys. As far as Corbin goes, I'm not. I'm not fully fully uh, bought. I think he's got some issues, uh, um, just as Nola does. Um, I, I 
find him in 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 that pace. Look, he, he's a very good pitcher, but I I don't need to purchase him. I'd rather spend my money elsewhere and and get hitting. And I'll try some other pitchers later. I'm just not convinced about Corbin. So I'm really high on Corbin. I just think he's solidified and he's gonna produce. Um, and I get that that might not happen, but you have him at seventeen dollars. So if he's the first nomination in a auction and he's about to go for seventeen dollars, are you gonna put an eighteen dollar bid on him? On Corbin? Yeah. No. No. If if really? uh, if wow. if I if I think a player is worth seventeen dollars, why would I want to spend eighteen dollars? In fact, why would I want to spend seventeen dollars on a seventeen dollar player? If if I have two hundred and sixty dollars of auction value and I spend two hundred and sixty dollars on my auction. I'm not going to end up with a good team. I'm I'm not going to end up with a bad team. I'm going to end up with an average team. But we're here not to be average. We're here to win. So if Corbin's worth 17, it's not that I won't bid on him. I'll bid on Corbin, but I won't bid on him to the $17 level. I'll bid on him to the $14 level. If somebody says 13, I'll say 14. If somebody says 15, I'm probably done. Before we get into players that you are higher on, I'd like to take a break for a quick ad. Welcome back in. Uh, Next, we'll be discussing players that Ariel is higher on in comparison to myself and the general consensus. So the first one that really sticks out is Raphael Devers. You have him at $35. Uh, As a guide, that's higher than J.D. Martinez. So I... Like Devers, I had him last year on my team, and it was amazing. I snagged him in like the ninth round of my main league, and he helped me. He helped carry me to the championship. So I like him, but higher than JD Martinez, I I just think they're gonna produce about the same. But we've seen JD Martinez be great for a whole lot longer than we've seen Devers being great. So. Why do you have Devers so much higher? Not so much higher, but why do you have him higher? Right. I mean, they're pretty close in value, to be honest, the, the two of them. It's not a mock on J.D. Martinez. I actually quite quite a bit love J.D. Martinez for this year for all the reasons that you that you mentioned. So I, uh, my my only reasoning for Devers higher is not that Martinez is bad. It's, it's the Devers is awesome. I mean, look, uh, uh, the, 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 in a five-by-five five roto, the, the categories that people usually disregard or don't give enough emphasis on is uh, runs and RBIs. Um, do you know that if you t- if you did a study and take a look at what five by five category is most correlated with fantasy baseball winners, like uh, you know it, it, people who win their leagues, what do they actually do well in? It's actually runs. Devers scored 129 runs last year. He had 115 RBIs. Um, people don't value those categories enough. Remember, those are 40% of your offensive categories. And he's much better than everybody else in it. I'm projecting um, him to be um, 88, uh, uh, the, the, the standard deviate, he's 1.88 standard deviations higher than, than the average uh, on RBIs. And he's, he's a plus two standard deviations uh, for runs. I mean, this is a guy who is going to give you that big base of run production. Uh, and he has got the power and he's got enough steals and he hits for a heck of a high average. Yeah. Uh, I think I think last year was legit uh, through and through. Um, and so I'm really projecting that to continue. Uh, 
And uh, I think people are misvaluing the run production. I usually let runs and RBIs come to me. I'm no, no, super... no, no, no. Well, no. I know I, it's something that I have to work on, but yeah. for the few years that I've played fantasy baseball, I draft the best player on the board and usually I end up high in runs and RBI. So I don't like make that a priority. I think about it, but I would rather get my steals and get my power before I go for runs and RBI specifically. I mean, you have to, if you're playing a five-by-five league, um, runs and RBIs are not that unpredictable. They're pretty highly predictable, actually. Um, you know, there's no reason not to go for them. I mean, take a guy like uh, Eric Hosmer. He's always undervalued every year, but he's getting your 90 RBIs, 90 runs, and, and whatnot, and he helps you in those categories for very cheap. So um, I think, I, I mean, I don't want to offend you, but I think it's a mistake not to consider it. Um, they're less variable than you think. Well, you were the number one expert last year, so maybe I'll have to <laughs> get that, keep, take that into consideration. Ah, I, I, I hope you, you, you believe me because of the arguments that I, that I uh, yeah. mentioned, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, next up, I've got Eddie Rosario. So... I've listened to you on a uh, guest on the Fantasy Pros podcast with Bobby Sylvester and on the Sleeper in the Bust with Justin Mason. I've heard you just glow about Eddie Rosario. So uh, tell me a little bit about why you love him so much. Well, well, maybe I'll start with you. Well, why don't you love him as much as I do? I like him. <laughs> I think he's a solid contributor in every single category including runs in RBI, of course. And I think I'd rather just go for someone with more upside. You think he, I know you think he has a lot of upside. I just think he's kind of capped. He just hasn't done it before. And I know that he definitely could do it this year. He's great, but I'd rather take a lot of guys over him that you don't have over him. Well, 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 I mean, he hasn't done before. I mean, he, he his full season numbers have been capped. Of course, he's had a couple of rinky-dink nagging injuries in the end of the year, that hamstring pulls and, and whatnot. I mean, last year, I'll read you his first half stats. 20 homers, 60 RBIs, 51 homers, 282 batting average, three steals. Um, I mean, that's, that's close to a first-round player. He, the, in the second half, he was injured, so he only had 12 homers. Oh, my God. His, his worst half is a 25-homer pace, right? Um, I mean, and, and 49 RBIs in the second half. His worst half is a, is a 100 RBI pace. Um, he's been doing this for three straight years. Um, it's funny because, and, and maybe you're clearing up why, why this is true, but um, last year his ADP was a full round higher than this year, and this year it's in like the 90s, his ADP. Last year it was in the 80s, and that's after he had his best season ever. He had 32 homers, 109 RBIs last year, um, and his ADP went down. Um, I can't understand why it went down. To me, his, he's the same player as last year. He was a really undervalued player last year. This year, he's extremely undervalued. I mean, look at his first half, 20 homers. You, if, if, if you hit 20 homers, he might be a top five homer guy. Uh, I'm not kidding you. I, 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 I would really gauge that Eddie Rosario could be a first, second rounder when come the end of the year. Um, they're playing him all the time. He's pro probably the Twins' best player. Um, he's got a strong lineup, so his runs production won't go down. They'll only go up. 
Um, there's nothing he doesn't do. And by the way, he also steals. Just that the Twins don't want to steal. The Twins of the team have said, I'm not going to steal. But he's stolen nine, ten bases pretty much every year. In the minors, he's, he stole a lot more. And he's only 28 years old, which means he's coming to his peak. So we, we got a great trajectory of up, up, up. Um, this is a slam dunk in the 90s, in the 90s. Yeah. So I'm looking at my rankings. I have him at 82. Uh, I might have to move him up looking at who is above him. I've got Manny Machado, Yoan Mancada, Chris Bryant. Those are just guys that aren't that exciting. But if Eddie Rosario can produce and not get injured this season in just 60 games, he definitely... I, I think I'll have to boost him a little. I mean, bit. I mean, look at Eddie Rosario's trajectory. He's he's Nelson Cruz. He he just is. I mean, look look at his compare him to Nelson Cruz's stat lines from from the same ages. He's Nelson Cruz. He's a monster. I mean, he's extremely exciting to me. Yeah. Um. So next, let's talk a little bit about debates that we might have, like. Guys that I'm high on or low on, and then you're the opposite. So, Cattell Marte, I'm writing a article about my top 10 targets in fantasy baseball. And Patrick Corbin was on that. We already talked about him. But Cattell Marte is my number one target. I just think that last year was a legit breakout and that he can definitely continue it into this year. 330 average, 32 home runs. I just don't see why. I, I don't think he's going to hit 330, maybe 300. But 330 home runs, that's definitely worth where he's going and a lot higher, I think. So what do you have against him? Um. Yeah. Um. First of all, let's – so let's see. Uh. His batting average, so 329, we know it's not going to happen. His BABIP, batting average on balls in play last year was 342. Um, for those who might not not be familiar with BABIP, uh, it's it's more of a pitcher metric, but we can use it for hitters. Um, if you hit, a, if 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 you strike out, it's an automatic out, right? If you hit a homer, it's an automatic run, right? Nobody's catching it. No fielders are making plays and strikeouts and homers. Take every other kind of play. That, that that's in play hit to the outfield hit to the infield and so on and so forth um Forrest McCracken actually showed that in the long run no player is really different no uh, he, he did it for pitchers no pitcher is really different like um it's people are going to have a 300 uh, average mm-hmm. of just balls in play okay if you're if you have a, an average in a season of much higher than if you have a 350 BABIP for a pitcher, it means that hitters were getting to you more than they should. It's very unlucky. On the flip side, if you have a 350 as a hitter, it means you're quite lucky. Well, his BABIP in the second half was 380. That's 80 points higher than what really should be for Kettle Marte. Now, Kettle Marte is a bit fast, so maybe you can argue his BABIP is a little bit higher than 300. Maybe but in the, in the past, it hasn't been that much above 300 if even at 300 so right right so the fact that his batting is so high it means his his batting average is going to come down a lot he is not a 300 hitter i mean his look at his batting average the past four years 259 260 260 and then 329 you tell me which one of these things doesn't belong um now look at his power 
He had 14 homers in 2018. And when that happened, I was all over Marte. And I said, actually, that power was legit. Um, and he's going to blossom into 2025 home run guy. Uh, and he did. He had 32. Now, I think that you got to tone it down. He's to me, he's closer to 2025. Um, There's a lot of homers that he hit that were just homers, meaning it just cleared the fence. If you go to a different ballpark, you would have much less. Or if he was a little bit, a little bit less lucky, he would probably have about five or six less homers. So you do that and combine it. He's still a very good player, but you got to take him down for all that. Yeah. So I'm looking at his StatCast page, and there's a lot of red, and red is a good thing. So his exit velocity and hard hit rate are slightly above average. But then you go to XWOBA, XBA, XSLUG. Those are expected stats, so it takes into account how he hit the ball, and it predicts what his batting average, what his on weighted on base average, what his slugging should have been. And they're all really, really high. So I just think he makes good contact, and I don't see why that should stop this year. So I'm taking him high. I think he can be a second rounder, maybe. Whoa. Wow. Not not this year, but next year, if he performs again, I think he'll be amazing. I'm taking him in the uh, fourth round, the third round, if I think I can't get him in the fourth. But I'm ending up with him in all of my mocks. I'm getting him everywhere. All righty. Good luck. (laughs) (laughs) I hope it turns out. I I love him. Yeah, I'm willing to bet on his his homer output. I I don't think he's going to get... Would you bet on uh, on, uh, over 10? Over 10 home runs? Uh, Yeah. The short season? You would? Yeah, maybe. I'll I'll take that Um, bet. I'll bet against that. (laughs) It sounds silly, but 10's going to be a lot this season. Yeah, I mean, but but if if he's a 30 two homer pace like he was that's that's gonna be a lot more than 10 right that's gonna be yeah, like 12 true. 13 so I, i'm willing to take a bet um i, I would say te- give me a, a 10 and a half as the as the line i'll take the under yeah and then i think he's gonna hit 300 but even if you think he's gonna hit 280 but still get 10 home runs i i just think he's gonna perform and yeah. just be batting really average good. I wouldn't bet on batting average because batting average could, is much more variable in a season. But if I had to, I, I, I would take a bet on 300 for the full season. Like, I, I don't think he's going to come anywhere close to that. Yeah. Okay. Well, he's an interesting. Are, oh, are, 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 are we betting? <laughs> no, no. I'm only no? 16. It's not legal. <laughs> um, next up, we got the other Marte in Arizona, Starling Marte. So last year, one of his best seasons ever, if not the best, probably was the best. But I just don't think he can maintain it. He, uh, Arizona has a track record at not letting their guys steal. Speaking of um, Cattell Marte, he's super fast, but he just doesn't get steals. I don't know if that's his problem, but I think it might be Arizona's general philosophy. But we were just talking about how um, past stats are good indicators about how good a player will be. And now we're on the opposite side. So I think Starling Marte, 
he'll be good, but I just don't think he'll be fantastic. You have him higher than Jose Altuve. I don't understand that. I have him higher than Altuve? In your auction values, um, yeah. Interesting, interesting. Um, hmm. Uh, I wouldn't have thought that. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, to me, they're both comparable players in terms of value. Um, in fact, actually, statistically, they're probably very similar. Uh, I have Starling Marte projected for eight homers, 10 stolen bases, 286 average. Altuve, nine homers, four stolen bases, 303 average. So, yeah, something there. Uh, a little bit more stolen base with Marte. Uh, I think Marte is going to steal. I mean, uh, uh, you're right. The philosophy uh, of uh, Diamondbacks might not be to steal, which might hurt him. Uh, that's true, and uh, that would bring down Starling Marte's value. Uh, but he's uh, he's a five-category guy. He's enough of everything in every category. We've seen a high batting average. He's batted over 270, over 275 every single year of his career, and he usually bats in the high 290s. So I think Starling Marte has really been there. He's stolen a minimum of 20 bases every single year. One season he was a little bit hurt, um, but other than that, he's really typically stolen – over over 30 actually um and he's still actually well he's getting older actually he's 31 so possible you see a a, a stolen base uh, decline if that's true he would do that now just because atc projections say that I, again i'm i'm going away from the steals guys because i think it's very highly valuable yeah. i'm not ta- i'm not personally taking starling Marte uh where atc projections are showing him because okay. i am i am worried about the stolen base risk in general yeah, he he kind of scares me a little bit. Uh, so someone I mean, he's, like he, he he shouldn't scare you though. He's he's never had a bad season. Well, someone like Whit Merrifield, I think they profile as somewhat similar, um, and I think they could have yeah. both great average, both great steals, but one is available at second base, and so I think I'd rather have Merrifield than Marte. Um, I think that Merrifield is priced a lot better relative to his value than installing Marte. So from that perspective, yes. Okay. Okay. Next up, Keston Hira. So he was a rookie last season. He was um, pretty miraculous. He just lit up the majors once he broke out and he was pretty darn good. So I'm looking at his StatCast page, and his exit velocity was the 90th percentile. His hard hit rate was the 97th percentile. So similar to other players that are StatCast marvels, he did overperform. I'll totally admit that. But he hits the ball hard, and I'm really, really high on him. And I get that you're lower, but... You're a lot lower. So according to your auction values, he's $23. That's lower than uh, someone like Anthony Rizzo. But I think the more interesting comparison is Eloy Jimenez. So they both broke out last year. But Hura was a lot better, I think, at least. So why do you have him? And Hura is also at second base, which is... Probably the second most scarce position, maybe outfield if you have five outfielders. So why do you have Hira lower than Jimenez? 
Um, I, I happen to like uh, Captain Hira a lot. Um, he oh, is, really? Yeah, I, I like him. Uh, I think that everyone is gaga over him, which is why um, I probably won't get much of him in, in drafts. I haven't gotten any of him, any shares of him, but I like him. I think he's uber stable. Um, I, I think in terms of Z scores, as I might have alluded to earlier, um, he is a plus 0.5 or greater in every single statistic there's nothing that he doesn't do that's a nice chunk above average than everybody else right you have some home run hitters that give you nothing in steals he gives you something in everything i mean look at his line last year 19 homers nine steals 303 average um it's, it's phenomenal 51 rbis 49 uh, 51 runs 49 rbis He's going to give you a chunk of everything. I really, really like him in that regard. In fact, in this short season, I might actually pay a small premium to get him because of the stability and because of the fact that if he's bad in one category, he still has value in the rest. So uh, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, bad on on him. Uh, in terms of Eloy Jimenez, I think Eloy Jimenez could be a 40 home run guy. I mean, it's pure power guy. So uh, I, I like both of them, actually. In fact, I, I value them really similar. Um, I think that it really depends on your team construct. If you find uh, that you can get some comparable outfielders later, um, then you don't need Eloy Jimenez on your team. If you think that there's a pocket where you can get second baseman, you don't need Hiura. So it really depends on your team construct, but I'm comfortable taking both of them at roughly uh, their value, um, as long as people don't go gaga over over them. You know, I'm I'm good I, I'm good with Hayura. Uh -huh. Yeah. So I'm looking at his BABIP, and last year it was 402. He's his average is gonna go down, but he yeah. profiles as a really high BABIP guy, and he's also in Miller Park, so he's gonna hit well, but. Looking at his minors, and the minors are different, of course, but looking at his minor league Babbitt, it's always about 380. That's super high. That cannot sustain in the majors. But your ATC projections have him at 344. That seems really high. I, I'm arguing for him, but his Babbitt is crazy. Do you have any words on that? I, he does have a historical BABIP. One thing I've noticed about ATC versus other projections is that a lot of other projections regress BABIP more than they should. Um, you know, I mentioned BABIP before, and I said that the league average is 300, but um, if you're a fast player and you hit ground balls in the hole, you're going to beat out those slow players who hit ground balls in the hole. So your BABIP is going to be higher. Right, speed players are going to have a higher BABIP. Slow players are going to have a lower BABIP than average. Everyone sets their own BABIP, and he's had a great high BABIP in the minors. ATC is regressing that, but not all that much. Uh, and ATC actually has been more accurate than most people in terms of BABIP. So um, I believe it. And because of this high BABIP, it means he's going to have a high average, right? If he has a very high floor of of BABIP, right? If if he's going to have 30 points more than the average, well, that's going to give him a boost of 30 points more than anybody else. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't have a problem with projecting a high uh, a high uh, batting average for Hayura. It's not going to be 300. ATC projecting 279, which is actually lower than most people. But I'm, I'm fine with that. Okay. Um, and then also his K rate, his 30% K rate, 
pretty concerning. Do you think he can fix that in the minors? He wasn't a huge strikeout guy, always hovering at around 20. That's pretty good, but 30 if he continues sticking at 30% strikeout rate? Yeah, it, it, that that is concerning. Yeah, the, the 30% K rate is concerning. Uh, I mean, what comes to mind is a guy named Javier Baez who you know mm. started with that kind of thing, and he worked it out. So, uh, now I, I have confidence in, in uh, Hiura to go the, the Baez route. Maybe not this year, but it, he's, he's young. I love him. I think he could be a star. We, the Brewers, they're going to produce a lot of runs in RBIs, so that gets a check. Uh, power, yes. Uh, steals, yeah, I think so. Uh, you talked about how he's fast, and that helps out his Babbitt. I, I think that can translate to steals, and the Brewers seem to be willing to steal. They do it with Kane and Braun and Yelich. So I think he'll be a five-category contributor and maybe be elite in all five. We'll see how far he regresses, but next year, if he performs at this rate again that we saw in 2019, if he performs like that in 2020, I think he could be one of uh, a Fernando Tatis type player going into 2021. Yeah, looking forward to to, to seeing him play. Hey, I'm happy if I see baseball this year, you know? Yeah, totally. I, I'm looking forward to it a lot. Uh, one last guy that I really want to talk about, uh, Sonny Gray. I'm really high on him. His second half was amazing. Yu uh, Darvish and Jack Flaherty also had really good second halves. So in the NL, he didn't rank very high in Cy Young. But any other year, I think he'd be up there in Cy Young voting. Probably not win, but... He was phenomenal in the second half. So do you think that he'll be able to not sustain it because there's no way that Sonny Gray can sustain what he did in the second half because no one can do that. But do you think that he'll be able to be a stud this coming year? A stud? Uh, no. Um you know, Sonny Gray is uh, someone that I, I like to just take a look at the projections, and um, nobody is projecting him for a stud year. I mean, he had a 2.87 ERA last. Nobody's projecting anything close. In fact, most projections are over four. Um, so, you know, I, I rely on projections. Maybe Sonny Gray's right. Maybe he figured it out. I, I don't know. I think it's kind of fluky. He, he, he was, he's consistently been either a 1-2 or 1.5 whip guy, um, in, in recent past, he's been a little bit off injured or so. Um, he, no, he, he's not a stud. Uh, is he serviceable? Sure. Is he going to help your fantasy team? Yeah. I mean, uh, I think that, uh, in the short season, 65 innings, well, he, he might get over 65 strikeouts. He won't blow up your team's ERA or whip. So he's definitely serviceable. Um, and you know what, uh, listen, he might be a good dart to throw. I, I, I'm, I'm not opposed with, with people taking a gamble on him. Um, and I might take him if the price is right. I'm not reaching to get this guy though. I I'll trust the projections and I'll bid to what I think his value is. That's fair. I just think that he, he was so good in the second half, even if it was completely fluky, I think at his price, it's worth the risk to try to get someone with that high of a potential. You know, in general, in general, when somebody has a good second half, do, do you tend to say, 
wow, he had a really great second half, so I think he's going to do better. Or do you say, well, he had a really great second half, it was lucky. What do you find yourself saying more? It's definitely usually the luck thing. But even we have seen players break out in the second half. Like um, None really come to mind more than Jordan Alvarez. And obviously we haven't seen him, but I think you agree that he's legit and he was a second half guy, so I don't see why. Um, you, you're an Alvarez. Yeah, I think I, I think he's. I, I mean, he wasn't a second half guy. He he tore up the minors in the first half. He was he was an all season guy. He just got the call up late. Um, okay. No, Alvarez is awesome. He 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 could hit forty five homers easy. He he's awesome, but that's that that's for another time. Um, do you have any other players that you'd like to hit on? Um, I, I mean, you know, that my general philosophy is I, I don't have targets. I don't say I really want to get this guy. I think if you do that, you're going to give up value. I think that every player has an associated cost and an associated risk. And your team as a construct needs to be, you know, if I grab a stolen base guy, I'm going to be more willing to pay a premium on a power guy and vice versa. If the guy is worth $17 and he's risky, I might only want to pay $12 for him. If a guy is uber stable and he's $18, I might want to pay $19 for him. Uh, I, I, I talk in auction value, by the way, but if for you uh, who's drafting, it's the same thing as, uh, you know, uh, round. You know, if I want to get a, a fifth round guy in the eighth round, if it's very variable, I want to give him the ninth round. If he's not that variable, I might even pay a premium and get him the fourth round. That's the way I draft. And it's for me, I can grab anyone at any time. I know that I'm higher than other people in, in certain players, so I know I'll get more of some player more often. I'll have more shares of players that ATC finds higher and that I find higher, but there's nobody who I cross off at any time. There's nobody who I pencil in and circle and say, I must get this guy. If you do that, then you're really uh, not playing the game theory aspect of it. And you're boxing yourself in a situation and you're almost, you're almost willing to pay. You're like, I really love, let's say you love Hyura. I really love Hyura. I'll pay a price. I'll pay more. Someone will say 18, 19, 20, 30. You just go up. You, you just grab them early. Uh, if, if, if you really love, love, love a player, then why don't you just draft? If you're a Mets fan, why don't you just draft all the Mets? You know, I love all my Mets. You know, uh, why don't I just do that? We're here to win at fantasy. We're here to draft for profit. You want an eighth round guy in the 10th round. You want a 12th yeah. round guy in the 17th round. So my advice is never be so high on a player or so low on a player. Be willing to take any player at the right price with the uh, given risk. Before I go, I'd really like to thank Ariel for coming on the show and giving such great advice. If you want to hear more from him, you can find him on Twitter at ATCNY. You can read all of his content on Fangraphs as well as CBS Sportsline. He also has his own podcast called The Great Fantasy Baseball Inventational, and you can find that wherever you found this podcast. Also, I'd really like to just apologize for my audio quality. Something went wrong in the recording process, and it wasn't completely fixable. But big shout out to Mark Herskovitz for doing everything that he could to fix it and make it sound as good as it possibly could. Uh, next week, I have a mock draft podcast with USA Today's Stephen Gardner and I'll also be further discussing draft strategy with CBS's Adam Azer. And until then, 
Eisen out. 